Welcome to Funeral Directors Chat, where funeral professionals discuss industry topics, trends, and news. And now your host, Nancy Bourbon. Hi, I'm Nancy Bourbon, your host of Funeral Directors Chat. Today, I'll be speaking with Glenda Stansberry of Oklahoma-based Insight Institute. She is the Dean of Insight Institute, and she's also the Marketing Director for Insight Books, which was founded by her father, Doug Manning, many years ago. Is that right, Glenda? Correct. About 30 years ago. About 30 years ago. And we're going to be speaking today about a growing trend in the industry, um, funeral celebrants. And I'm going to let Glenda start off and tell us a little bit about what that is. Funeral celebrants are individuals who are specifically trained to provide personalized and individualized services for people. Uh, usually, the, the type of, of families who request a celebrant or who are you know, who a funeral director suggests a celebrant to are those people who do not want a typical religious service or a denominationally based service. Uh, they are the people who now are not affiliated with any kind of church or just are not looking for that kind of experience in a funeral service. So we fill that niche for those people who really kind of call themselves spiritual but not religious and don't want the, the religious elements added to, to their funeral service. I see. And what does a funeral celebrant actually do? Well, we, we do... Um, I mean, obviously, we do what what a minister would do in a in a funeral service, as far as just you know conducting the service. But we do uh, many things before that happens. Uh, when when a family is uh, contacts a celebrant or a funeral director con- contacts a celebrant, we uh, arrange to have a family meeting with as many of the family members as we can gather, and that's a very important piece of what we do. Not only do we allow you know, a very healing time for the family to get together and tell stories, but also that's where we get our information in order to put together a, a eulogy and an entire service that really reflects the life and the lifestyle of that loved one. Mm-hmm. And then we work very closely with the funeral director to make sure that, you know, everything is coordinated, that the music is correct, and all of the pieces that go into funeral, uh, funeral service. And then we um, conduct the service, you know, the day of the service, we can do any kind of service a family needs. We do funeral service. We do memorial services. We do gravesides. You know, anything that a family wants to honor their loved one, we're f- certainly capable of doing. I see. Um, and you just ran a training this weekend in Oklahoma City. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. It's our first one of this year. We do seven every year, and we always kind of try to get kicked off here in Oklahoma City, and we had a wonderfully diverse group. We had uh, people from Canada and and California and Wisconsin and uh, all over the place, so it was a really nice group of people uh, who were really looking for ways that they could either add to the services that they were offering at their funeral home or individuals who are looking to get into this as a profession and offer their services to funeral homes in their area. Oh, great. Now, now, Glenda, I understand that your father, who, who is Doug Manning, brought this movement to the United States from Australia and New Zealand. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how, how that actually happened? Doug does a lot of public speaking around the, you know, around the country in the areas of grief and elder care, and he does a lot of uh, speaking presentations to funeral directors. And in about 19, oh, early 90s, uh, he was asked to come to Australia, 
and do a two-week tour doing trainings and seminars for funeral directors in, in that country. And while he was there, he, he kept running into people who called themselves civil celebrants. And he got very intrigued by that and started kind of asking the question and found out that celebrants had become kind of a movement there in Australia because um, the only real church affiliation that was available to Australians is a really high liturgical Church of England kind of approach. And only about, you know, 5 to 10% of the people in the entire country belong to church. And so they, you know, the, the individuals were saying, you're not giving us what we need in a funeral experience because it's all the very you know, high church kind of stuff. And so the state actually, or the country actually started licensing what they call civil celebrants, uh, much like wedding commissioners are licensed in Canada. And uh, their their whole goal was to provide services for those people who did not want that kind of high religious service. And then a couple of years later, Doug went back to Zealand and found celebrants there and visited with them and understood that they were filling a very important niche also in, in their country. And he, when, he brought, when he came back from those two trips, he really looked around at what was going on here in North America and realizing that as church attendance is declining in, in the United States and Canada, fewer and fewer people are feeling like their needs are being met in a funeral experience because all, all they had to, to choose from was, you know, a rent minister or, you know, somebody who was going to come in and do a, a religious or a cookie-cutter kind of service. And so, you know, we thought, gee, this would be a wonderful opportunity for us to meet the needs of those people. Those are the kind of people who are choosing not to have a service or who are, who are choosing immediate cremation because they don't think that there's anything important or meaningful in a funeral service experience. They haven't seen it. So we really did this. We started this 10 years ago with the whole hope of bringing people back to funeral service, bringing people back to the healing experience of having a well-done funeral. And so we, we just, you know, we decided, let's go try it. And we did our first training in Boston in 1999 and thought, okay, we've we found a niche here where, where there really is a need. And so we've been training people ever since. Coming from a background as a Baptist minister, as your father was, he must have really sincerely embraced this in order to, um, to incorporate this into his offerings, I would assume. Absolutely. And of course, even when he was a minister, he was usually one of those rent-a-ministers that the funeral directors always called because they knew that he could handle you know, those families who did not want a religious background or religious experience or religious service. So he was pretty comfortable with that going in. Uh, it has, you know, it has always kind of given people pause that a, a Baptist, a former Baptist minister is out here training people how to do secular services. But, you know, his underlying goal has always been the value of the funeral, the value of the funeral process, and how important it is in the grief journey. You know, he really comes to this as a as a speaker and a writer in the area of grief, and he believes that a well-done funeral service really sets people off on a healthy journey in their, in their grief experience. And he was so concerned that so many people were turning away from that experience just because they didn't think there was anything out there for them. So his, you know, regardless of how he felt in the religious aspects, his 
desire to see healthy grief experiences and well-done funeral experiences much, you know, was much stronger than, you know, any need for any kind of evangelical look. Uh, he knows that this is absolutely the most healing thing a family can do and that we need to do everything possible in funeral service to provide that kind of service for every person who walks in the door. And we feel like celebrants are the way to do that. Well, John Reed Sr., the president of the National Funeral Directors Association, has said that it's up to 50% of Americans today who claim to not belong to a church and don't see any value in a religious funeral, but they still want a ceremony and a celebration at the end of life. Um, I know it's up to 85 to 90% in Australia and New Zealand, but 50% is pretty significant in the U.S., wouldn't you say? Yes, and, and I'm really not sure where he gets those numbers, but I would I would tend to agree with, I mean, we the last American Religious Identification Survey came out last year, and, you know, the, those numbers run somewhere around, oh, I would say probably about 30% of the people who say that they have absolutely no religious affiliation, and about 49% of those people who say they do not want to have a religious wedding or a religious funeral. Uh, and so the, the, the trend is growing. The people who identify themselves as what we call the nons, N-O-N-E-S, the nons who do not, you know, say no religion, no affiliation. Uh, right now, if you grouped all of those people into a state, they would be the second largest state in the, in the, in the country behind California. So it's a growing number of people, and it's, it's always kind of challenging for us when we go talk to funeral directors especially in the Bible Belt or, you know, those areas, and they say, oh, everybody in our town, you know, goes to church. Well, that's really not true. Uh, you've got even people in the buckle of the Bible Belt who are saying, I don't want to be preached at at a funeral. I don't want, you know, all of those in impersonal and non-relatable items utilized in a service for my loved one. Uh, and those are the people that we have turned into the immediate disposition group. Those are the people who are saying, hmm, you just take care of cremating the body and I'm going to go do something else that I have control over. And, you know, so we have to find a way to make sure that they understand that they have options and that there are choices out there outside of the traditional, you know, one-size-fits-all stick the name at the top of the, of the clergy card kind of approach to funerals. And that's our goal. Well, 25 years ago, religious funerals were really the only option available. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think your father has done a significant, um, has filled a significant need by bringing this um, to America. And currently today, I mean, I know that most of your funeral celebrants are experiencing a lot of success in introducing this into the individual communities, whether they're the Bible Belt or not. Right. Yeah. They are, for the most part. You know, I certainly have some celebrants who go back to their communities hoping that the local funeral home is going to use them. And they sometimes they're a little disappointed because funeral directors are, are a little fearful of new, a little fearful of change, uh, a little fearful that it might make the local clergy mad. But once they see what kinds of services we can do, once they see the happy families that leave after these services, then they finally kind of go, oh, okay, now I get it. Uh, and, you know, we're also helping the funeral industry, helping their bottom line, because if you have a family who would 
normally walk in and ask for an immediate disposition and no service, and we can turn them around into a full-service funeral of some kind, then, you know, that's an economic impact as well as, you know, being able to say that you're serving your families well. So a lot of our celebrants are doing incredibly well. Some of them would like to be a lot busier, uh, you know, just kind of hoping that the funeral director is going to call them. But we always have hope every year that, you know, as we grow and as people know about us, that, that funeral directors will reach out and, and utilize the celebrants that are available. And a lot of funeral homes have, 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 have trained their own people on staff so that they've got people, you know, already available. When the family walks in, they've got people on staff who can, you know, immediately serve them as a celebrant. And, and that's real smart marketing on their part. Well, I understand that there is um, a funeral chain in Florida, and I believe one in Ohio, that actually has more than three, possibly five, funeral celebrants on staff. Is that correct? The funeral home in in Florida, they have two or three on staff, and then they've got two or three who they who are independent contractors, but they only work for that firm, and they call them all the time. Uh, there's a, a a large family firm in in, a, in the Ohio area that has three on staff and another three or four that are independent contractors that only work for them. And they've actually put on staff what they call a celebrant coordinator who uh, works with all the funeral directors as they have families come in and help them, you know, pair them up with a celebrant and make sure that, you know, that the families get with the celebrant and understand what all is going to go on. Same is true in California. Um, a large, large funeral home in the L.A. area, they have uh, one gentleman who, who coordinates all the celebrants, and they've got about 15 celebrants who are available to them. Uh, they're not on staff, but they're all independent contractors who work almost solely for that, for that firm, and they have a coordinator who makes sure that you know, families get paired up with, with a celebrant. So some of the larger firms are really seeing that this is uh, a powerful marketing tool, that it's a powerful way to encourage families to do more as as they're honoring their loved one. Right. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about cremation. I know cremation is, is very significant in, in the New Zealand, Australia area, and it's on the rise in the United States as well, and Canada, of course. Yes. Um, how does that impact on um, cremation, or specifically direct cremation? Well, I, I think that is our, our one foot back into the door. You know, when, yes, there is, you know, there's probably around a 90 to 95% cremation rate in Australia and New Zealand, but those two countries have never heard the word immediate disposition. Uh, it's just not done there. They have, uh, they usually have the body embalmed, they have a full service, and then the body goes to be cremated. And so, they found very early how to, you know, how to deal with the families and offer them options so that they know, you know, this is how one does a service. When cremation first started here in, in the United States and Canada back, you know, really it's been around for a while, but it really started kind of gaining ground in the late 60s and the 70s, um, you know, we as a profession did not respond very well. We just kind of shut down and went, oh, it's a cremation and, you know, didn't really articulate for families what their options were. We priced it cheaper. We did all kinds of things that say to families, this is kind of a second-rate service, but if you want to have it, okay. And now we're kind of stuck with this two-tier pricing, which is a real problem for burial versus cremation, but we also have created these families who walk in and say, you know, we've seen what you have to offer. 
you know, we've seen the rent a minister, we've seen the cookie cutter funeral, that's not for us. And so all we want you to be is the body disposer. And so I think probably celebrants have the most powerful piece of turning those immediate cremation services around uh, because we can say, oh, no, we can offer you something incredibly personalized, incredibly unique, and you will, you know, appreciate having spent the time and the money putting together a service that honors your loved one. And, you know, I cannot tell you how many cremation families that I've worked with that after the fact, they said, you know, we really thought about not having a service at all, but we're thrilled that we did. So if, if more funeral directors understand that this is such an incredible tool for bringing those particular groups of families back, then, um, then they would be knocking on our door begging us to hand them celebrants. Well, rituals and ceremonies are a very important part of the grieving process. And if one doesn't grieve, I mean, that's the whole reason for a funeral is uh, for people to grieve their loss and to celebrate the life that, that has just passed. Absolutely. And, and it's not, it's not normal. I mean, we've kind of almost gotten so, so immune to it that we just don't think anything about it, but it's truly not a normal reaction for a person to say, gee, my loved one just died and I don't want to do anything to recognize or honor that. Right. You know, and, and so when somebody walks in and says, I want an immediate disposition and no service, that's a very abnormal reaction, and it's usually growing out of something else. Mm-hmm. It's growing out of, you know, disgust with past services or even hurt from past services. You know, gee, when I went to my grandmother's funeral, they, they said her name wrong or they never even mentioned her or, you know, whatever. So it's really a, it's a reactionary kind of response. And, you know, we never really stop and analyze that to understand that those, that's not normal. And so we have to find ways to allow those people to have what you would say, a ritual and a ceremony that is healing and healthy and normal uh, in whatever way they want it, whether that's a gravesite or whether that's a memorial service or a tribute service or whatever, just to offer them that option to really stop and commemorate. Uh, it's important. It's important in the grief process. It's important to us as a as a society. If if we stop uh, honoring the dead, then we stop valuing the living. And so, you know, we really have to find ways to provide those tools for everyone in our community and everyone in in the group that we're working with to say. You know, you you have ways of doing this that will be meaningful and personal and the perfect opportunity. And it's not just for the family. It's for the community. I mean, I know that I've seen a couple where um, they spoke about the deceased. And and even though the man was in his late 80s, they spoke about when he was a Boy Scout. They spoke about when he was in the military and his accomplishments. They spoke about what a loving husband, what what, what a wonderful father he was. Um, the different things that he did in his community. They really gave a full picture, and they painted a beautiful picture of who he was as a man. Absolutely. And one of the one of the most heartwarming things for me after a service is for somebody to walk up and say, you know, I knew that person for 40 years, and you told me things I didn't know about them. And, you know, I mean, that's special. It gives them a whole different group of memories to leave that service with and to remember their friend or their neighbor or their coworker, you know, whoever, um, that 
that maybe they didn't know everything about them as they were growing up or whatever. You know, it's 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 always fun for us to do the. Um, you know, to do the, the, the older person's funeral because it's such a full life and you get to talk about wonderful experiences. Um, and, and our goal in that family meeting is to make sure that we present a very complete picture of who, of, uh, yeah, of, of who that person was. Now, Glenda, we had spoken previously and you had uh, shared with me some stories about some um, funerals that you did um, that you had an especially creative approach. Um, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Oh, every service, you know, gives us an opportunity to really think about, you know, what can we do ceremonially or creatively to, to make this a, a really long-lasting, meaningful experience. Uh, in many of the services that I do, and not, not all celebrants do this, but a lot of them do, I try to always find some kind of a, a memory takeaway is what we call them that we hand out to the to the audience after after the service and give them a little physical token to take away to remember the loved one. Uh, I've had, you know, I've handed out golf tees or I've handed out uh, crossword puzzle pages. I've handed out uh, little puffs of cotton ball because this woman really loved clouds. Um, I've handed out bookmarks, you know, all kinds of different pieces. And, and it's just one more little element to saying, you know, this life was, was important and this life is worth remembering. And then he, I, we're giving you something very tangible that you can take home and, and remember that person by. Mm-hmm. So those are always a lot of fun. Um, and and people always really enjoy them, you know, when they receive them. Uh, you know, I've done I've done services for you know 97 year olds, and I've done services for 16 year olds, and, and so every, every every life you know has has a different take on it, and and you you know you just try your best to make sure that you've represented you know what that family wants, what that family needs, and to to give that story in such a way that that people are wowed by it. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say that. You know, you write as creatively as you can and and as um, and in a manner that people will really remember the stories. I don't care if they remember me. I want them to remember the stories and to walk away saying, you know, I really got something out of that. So, that's it, you know, and we have lots of celebrants that have been, you know, incredibly creative, you know, putting together ribbons or, you know, uh, one of the celebrants, uh, handed out little uh, sparkles in, in little baggies, and, and she told the children of, this, of in the family that it was fairy dust that she had gone out the night before and gathered in the, in the backyard so that they could remember their loved one. And, you know, all kinds of different fun things, something that represents the life. And uh, it's always... I had one funeral director sidle up to me one day, and he was one that had never been supportive of celebrants, really didn't see a need for it until he started, you know, his, his firm started using me, and he started seeing how, how happy these families were. And he, he sidled up to me a couple of months ago, and I was getting ready to do a service, and he said, so what are you going to give away today? <laughs> and so he at least, you know, he even, in, in, in his doubt and disbelief that this was something important, understood that, that's a very special service, and it's a very special way to 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 weave those families with something that they'll remember. Mm-hmm. And it's a shared experience, and and at the end of the day, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and you know you 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 can you can put whatever little token that we gave you 
on a shelf, and, and next time you look at that, you'll remember that person, and then if somebody else is at the service, you can both talk about that. And so it, it kind of brings everybody together. You know, this, it, it, takes, it takes an entire community to grieve a loss, and so we're just trying to find ways to make, them, make the, the audience especially feel like they're part of that experience. Too often, the audience who comes to a funeral kind of feels a little disconnected. You know, they're just kind of there because they're supposed to be there, or they're there for a friend, or they're there, you know, because it's expected. And to kind of incorporate them and include them and tell them that they're important to the family and the grief journey and to be present for them, you know, makes them feel like they're a little bit more actively involved. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us a little bit about you had a, um, I think you did a celebration for a famous uh, stained glass artist? Yes, that was that was a, a wonderfully, uh, just a real creative opportunity. She was a, a nationally known stained glass artist. She had actually served as a, a, the president of the National Stained Glass Association at one time, mm-hmm. uh, has done a lot of stained glass work here in Oklahoma City. She was responsible for repairing all of the stained glass in downtown Oklahoma City churches that were damaged after the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, so she's been honored a lot, you know, at her talent and, 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 and you know, what she brought to, to her particular profession. And so when we did her service, um, you know, I, uh, the president, the current president of the Stained Glass Association, National Stained Glass Association and the editor of, the, uh, of their journal, of the Stained Glass Journal, uh, flew in from Kansas City for her uh, service. And it was a, it was a, Really nice service, wonderful stories. The family was just sweet as they could be. And we handed out, I handed out little pieces of stained glass, little broken glass pieces, you know, to everybody at the end of the service. And the editor of the magazine and the president came up to me afterwards and said, oh, my goodness, you know, this is just incredible, not exa- not at all what we had expected. And so they asked for a copy of the service. And then the next time they published the, uh, the Stained Glass Association Journal, they put the entire service in the journal and illustrated it with pictures of her stained glass. So it was the first time I had an illustrated funeral you know, that was published, but uh, it was gorgeous. And it, and it really spoke to me that, you know, when you do something that's meaningful to people, they, they really respond to it. And, you know, I, I doubt that that stained glass magazine has ever printed a funeral in its, in its pages. But it, you know that it, it meant enough to them to say yes. This is how we're going to honor our our former leader. Um, that, that that is a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, now, Glenda, do you, I know that you're a funeral director? But do you have to be tra- do you have to be a, a funeral director to be trained as a funeral celebrant? Absolutely not. Uh, we probably, you know, we market pretty heavily to the funeral profession, and so we get a lot of funeral directors who come. And also, you know, we, we're approved for uh, continuing ed credit in all of the states, so that's, you know, a, a nice little incentive for any funeral directors to come see us. But, you know, we probably have about a 60-40 split in any group that we train between funeral directors and other people. Hmm. Uh so we, you know, in for example, in this last class that we just taught last weekend, we had funeral directors there, but we also had uh, a, a clergy person whose funeral home sent him because they want him to, you know, be able to do more than just the traditional service. Uh, we had a, a two retiring educators. Uh, we had a nurse. We had uh, a retired flight attendant. 
you know, so it was a real diverse. We had an actor and singer from from L.A. Uh, so it's a real diverse group of people. Each one of them says, "Gee, this really speaks to me. I think I have the talent and the skills to write and to get up in front of people and do presentations." So you know, there's just no telling. We've had we've had nuns, we've had priests, we've had clowns, uh, we've had social workers. You know, all kind, real diverse group of people that this particular profession kind of speaks to. So it it helps to be familiar with the funeral industry and how things run. But you know that you can learn that you can go work at a funeral home and, and learn that part. Uh, and most of our funeral directors find once they've been through training, it's really hard to do both for one family. Uh, it's it's hard to wear both hats as a celebrant and a funeral director. So a lot of times we have funeral directors come to training, and then they go home and find somebody else, either on staff or somebody in their community, that they can send back the training that they will call on to be their celebrant, and then they will help facilitate the service working in concert with that celebrant. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and, so, and, and, and we also have some, some uh, firms who have, you know, a couple of people on staff. We have a bereavement coordinator and a funeral director, and they team together. So, you know, if the funeral director is actually serving as funeral director for that family, then he's going to act as master ceremonies for the for the service, and the bereavement coordinator will be the celebrant. If he's not uh, directly involved with that particular service as a funeral director, then he'll be the celebrant, and the bereavement coordinator will be the master ceremony. So there's lots of different permutations to that, um, but it, certainly you do not have to be a funeral director. Um, we, we, we want funeral directors to go through training to understand what we do and to be, you know, very willing to offer celebrant services either by, from them or from somebody else to their families. Mm-hmm. What type of personality traits does a, t- does a successful funeral celebrant usually have? Well, I think, first of all, a real heart for hearing people mm-hmm. uh, and a real comfort level with being with people in pain. You know, because usually when we're walking into a family meeting, you know, it's the day of the death or the day after the death. And so you've got lots of lots of really raw feelings going on. And you, so you've got to be somebody who's pretty comfortable in that kind of an emotional setting. Sure. Uh, I think second of all, you have to be a curious person. You have to, you know, want to know the stories and want to know the why behind the stories or not want to know the why behind the, the, the music selections or the pictures or the video tribute. I find myself saying to families a lot, tell me why. Tell me why you chose that music or tell me why you picked those pictures for the video tribute because every one of those questions then usually leads to another insight into that person or another story. So you kind of have to be real naturally curious and, you know, and listening. Uh, you have to be you know, pretty comfortable, obviously, with, with public speaking because you're going to be getting up in front of people, uh, sometimes large groups of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have, to be, you, know, you have to be a pretty good writer, uh, but that's a learned skill. You, know, you can get better at that as you do it, but you certainly should go in you know, with, with some semblance of writing skills to, you know, to, to be able to pull all those stories together in a, in a, in a tribute that makes sense, if you will. So, you know, you, your, your first goal is that you are, you know, you're a compassionate person with a real open heart that can listen. 
and then you have some of the talent skills to then do something with the stories that you've heard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I have, it, it's just such an interesting wide range of people who are, who are very good at this and very successful at it. Um, and, you know, if, and if you had set them all in a room, you probably wouldn't have picked many of them at all. Mm-hmm. But they've kind of, you know, they have they have very natural skills, or they have grown into their skills, and they just exude a real sense of calm and competence. And you know, families are willing to put their stories in their hands, and that's the important piece. So it's almost like being an investigative reporter with a touch of creativity. Absolutely, absolutely. I I actually had a, a, somebody in the training last weekend who is in journalism and in marketing. And after we kind of talked about, you know, we we talk about all the skill, the technical pieces of putting together a eulogy. And she said, mm-hmm. you know, this is a lot like writing, you know, a, a, a newspaper story. You know, you're looking for the lead, you're looking for the angles, you're looking for all the supporting stories to go with it. And I said, yeah, in a lot of ways. You know, you're a little nicer than some of the investigative journalists that I've met. But, you know, you are asking the questions. You want to know why so that you can represent that why fully. Now, Glenda, you're a general director, is that right? Yes, I am. And you and you teach at a local college? Yes, I teach uh, at the University of Central Oklahoma in the funeral service department. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing that for about a year and a half, and it, it, that's a true joy of my life. Uh, it was one of my... One of my goals after I finished my, my funeral service license and degree was to be able to go back and um, and really hopefully share some of this some of this skill and knowledge set with the with the young funeral directors. I think a lot of what I see, you know, I go all over the country and train lots of funeral directors, and some of them are you know old guys that have been out there for forty years, and some of them are new. But what I hear from them consistently is nobody really ever taught us how to talk to families um, well. You know, arrangement conferences are just agony because you're just never sure if you're if you're doing it right or you know how, how you're how you're dealing with the family. And so, you know, my goal was to go back and and really help them understand how to attain those skills. I don't teach celebrants at you know at the college level. I, I I teach uh, counseling and, and listening and those kinds of pieces uh, because I think our next generation uh, has to be better at the interpersonal skill piece. You know, we, we spend a lot of time training a lot of technical embalmers uh, and, you know, incredibly talented, wonderful people out there. Uh, but as, as the need for embalming declines, unfortunately, uh, the need for people with incredibly well done people skills and consulting skills and able to be a guider uh, with families is going to be even more necessary. It's crucial. It's really crucial. I know you're really good at it, and you have to be. You have to have that skill because um, you only get one chance to make the family feel comfortable and and to you know help them through this transition in their life. Yes. Yes, and, and, you know, our customers are changing drastically. Our customers are now the baby boomers, which is, you know, my age group, uh, and younger. And, and these are the people who have demanded that everything about their life is personalized. 
We have our own ringtones on our cell phones. We have our own Facebook page, and we're going to declare, you know, everything that we believe upside down the other on, on our Facebook page. We have our own license tags. We have everything about us that says, I am special, I'm unique. And so that's the clientele that's walking into a funeral home, and if that funeral home is not prepared to respond to that need, and we just throw it in the same old, same old, same old that, that my grandfather did, then they're going to turn around and walk out because they have options now. And you certainly are helping a lot of people by training these celebrants and spreading out into the communities and all over the United States, as well as the UK and Canada. Well, thank you. So um, I was reading today, um, Glenda, that the number three job in America, rated number three for satisfaction by CNN Money, is actually funeral celebrants. So I guess there is uh, some recognition of this um, new practice. I guess so. I think that's very exciting that that CNN is is recognizing us as a a profession. And, And I would agree with them. There is nothing as satisfying as walking away from a service where you know that you did it did the right thing for that family and that you touched their lives and gave them long lasting memories. There there's you know, I've had a lot of jobs in my life and a lot of professions in my life and there's nothing that that can even touch the satisfaction of uh, of serving a family like that. So I would agree with Dean and Money. <laughs> That's great. Well I really enjoyed chatting with you today. It was really great. I appreciate it. Glenda, if there are listeners who would like more information on how to contact um, you and find a celebrant, uh, funeral celebrant in their area, or they would actually like to participate in the training to become a funeral celebrant, how would they get more information? Well, the, the best way would be to go to our website, which is insightbooks.com. Uh, there is a page on celebrants within our website. There is a page that says find a celebrant. And so if a family was looking for a celebrant, they could go there and search by name or search by state or search by country, however they wish to search. And that's not all of our celebrants, but those are celebrants who have selected to be on our site and available for searching. So there's probably about 400 celebrants on there uh, all around the country and in Canada. So if somebody was looking for a celebrant, They could certainly go on there and see if there was one in their area. Uh, They can always email me uh, at glenda at insightbooks.com and just, you know, if they have a question about either finding a celebrant or about the training. There is also a page on the website that has all of our training locations. You can sign up on the website if you wish to come to a a training. Uh, All of the information about locations and price and all of those pieces are on the website or they're always welcome to email or call me here at Insight Books. Okay, that sounds great. And I, I really do hope that this trend does continue because it brings new life to the funeral industry and it's much needed. Well, thank you so much. I hope so, too. Thank you, Glenda. Thank you. United Priority Distributors offers an extensive catalog of unique and exclusive cremation urns, including artistic urns, veterans' memorials, and brass urns that can be engraved and shipped the same day. For more information, visit unitedpriority.com.